This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Judges chapter 6, verse 11, you with me? It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in the ophir that belonged to Joash in Abizrite. Sure? Okay. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Anyone ever feel that way? And given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered and said to him, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephra of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place it on this rock and pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. Verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord, poof, disappeared. Verse 22, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And lastly, in verse 24, it says, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands. You know, we get to this passage of Gideon where the angel is calling Gideon into the work that he's set out for him to do. And if you know the story, Gideon goes on and him and his 300 men actually defeat 135,000 Midianites. But before then, we, leading up to this story, Israel was under great oppression by the Midianites for seven years, it says. They were under oppression, living in fear, living in torment, hiding in caves, hiding out, scared of their enemy. It says that their crops weren't able to be fruitful. They weren't able to see the fullness and the fulfillment of beautiful crops and agriculture. Even their livestock couldn't survive. So they were just surviving in this season and they were desperate for something to change. And in comes God speaking to Midian in this story. And we've been going through a series 
And, Ga- and Chad, God, Chad, same thing. And Chad, three weeks ago, started the series about why we exist as a church. Why does Zoe exist? We exist to know God, to experience his love, his kindness, his goodness, and then to find freedom, to live a life free, full of no regrets. And then last week, beautifully, he communicated through the message of the potter's house, discovering our purpose, discovering why we are here, that he has made us, he has designed us, he has equipped us, he's molding us, he's shaping us. And then finally tonight out of this passage, I'd love to share about making a difference. And Gideon went on to make a great difference. But before he addressed what he was about to do in these verses, he spoke to who he was. Because we serve a God that cares about who we are. Who we are becoming is more important to him than what we're doing. And if you're taking notes, I want to title this talk tonight, Unqualified. Unqualified. Can we pray together? God, we dedicate this time to you. God, we lean in to your heart. We ask that you would reveal your plans and your purposes. God, we're in this room here tonight, but what's outside of this red-walled building is what you're so passionate about and what matters. God, we ask that we would play a part in making a difference. We ask that you'd bring greater clarity as to what it is we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to be a piece in that puzzle. God, we thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for this beautiful day. And we thank you in just minutes that we are about to partake in the goodness that comes in the form of cheeseburgers, ice cream, donuts, maybe sandwiched all in one. And all of my non-vegan friends said amen. Okay. And if you're over 30, you have the struggle of sucking in and keeping the core tight while eating those foods. I've been taking those exercise classes and they always say, keep the core tight. I'm like, I'm trying, lady. I've had three kids. And I eat cheeseburgers. Marriage is amazing. Anyone married here tonight? Okay, anyone happily married here? Okay. Anyone been married here over 20 years? Any hands out there? Okay, okay, no experts in the house? Perfect. Safe space. Anyone single here tonight? Oh, okay, that's like 20 people, and then 20 people were married, so we have some single people lying. Be loud and proud, no shame. Um, Kelly and Aaron, they're not sitting together. It's okay. You happily married? You fall into that cat? Never, ever. Okay. You guys just celebrated two years of being married during the fast. Come on, give it up for Kelly and Aaron. They made it. Oh. They made it. They're experts, she says. Nate and Steph, how long have you been married? Six years. Amazing. Dana? 
11, where's your husband? When you're married 11 years, you're secure. He just does what he wants, you do what you want. Is that how it works? Okay. He's in kids. No, he's certain kids. Eric's amazing, and so is Dana. We're grateful for this couple. Uh, but Chad and I celebrated eight years last September, and uh, we love to celebrate. We believe that celebration involves food every time, all the time. Um, can you tell we're hungry here tonight? And we had a beautiful anniversary. Uh, Chad is a romantic, I must say. He is extravagant in his love. He loves to give good gifts. He's a great gift giver. He loves to make a, a plan, a, a reservation at a nice restaurant. He's very lavish. Chad's la lavish, much, much like Jesus. So Chad is like Jesus. But uh, on year seven, when we were celebrating our seven-year wedding anniversary, uh, I was six days from my due date of our third born Maverick. Now, if you've ever been six days from your due date, you know that you're a little bit slower, you're a little bit undecisive, you're a little bit in pain, you're a little bit seen unclearly. And uh, he was gracious and loving the way he is, and he kept asking me what I wanted to do, and I had a hard time deciding what I wanted to do. And uh, he finally said, no problem, like, we'll just... We'll just flow, we'll just be spontaneous, like you don't have to commit, we'll, we'll decide how you're doing. Well, that night I was feeling great and I shoved my swollen foot into a high heel and uh, waddled into a cute outfit and uh, trying to look my best for my husband. And we get to this restaurant on a Monday evening without a reservation. It's an Italian restaurant in West Hollywood and we thought Monday night we'd be fine. Well, we get there and it's a two-hour wait. Well, this becomes a little bit frustrating. He suggests that maybe we'll just go and we'll sit at the bar. And if you've ever um, gave, given birth to a child or about to give birth to a child, it's um, not very comfortable to sit on a bar stool. And so I like get up onto the bar stool and we're, I'm trying to have a good time, but I'm in a bit of pain and uh, we're, ha we're discussing how awesome of a year it's been and all the things that God has done in our life and, you know, we're like laughing at each other's jokes and gazing into each other's eyes and all those amazing things you do on your anniversary. Well, I'm getting hungry and time is passing and I'm starting to get a little cranky and frustrated, so he suggests, he takes initiative, he leads the way, and he suggests that we wave the white flag and we go to another restaurant uh, down the street. Well, I said, that's fine, so we leave, and our car was in the valley, and we didn't have cash at the time, so we decide on this beautiful September warm evening that we're going to walk. Well, when I say down the street, I mean a half a mile, and when I say a half a mile when you're nine months pregnant with high heels and swollen feet, that is not like a half a mile. It's like 2.5 miles. So... We go on this walk and we proceed to get to the next restaurant and we're still having a lovely time. And somewhere between restaurant A and restaurant B, I begin to drift down the rabbit trail. Now, if you're a woman here tonight or if you've ever been married to a woman, you understand what a rabbit trail might be. See, my brain goes from chocolate to children to chess to chores all in 0.2 seconds. I'm not kidding. We can go drifting. Sometimes the rabbit trail is nice, rolling, luxurious hills, and it just goes up and down, 
just a little bit, just like little bumps, you know, here and there. Other times it's sharp lefts or cliff dives. And this particular evening, I took a U-turn in the rabbit trail and somehow we we're talking about how much we love each other. And the next thing he knows, I'm beginning to talk about how I was overwhelmed by our life right now. Now, if you've ever been on a date with your spouse, you know that sometimes it's going sideways real fast and you don't know how to recover it. Chad did not have the tools <laughs> in his hand to rescue me from that moment. And I began to say these words and I told him how I really desired for our life to get more simple. And I really wanted our life to be a little bit easier. And his response to me was, I couldn't disagree more. We're eight years in, and we got a lot more years to go. But I signed up for this wild adventure, and I'm grateful that I'm married to that man right here. So 30 minutes, two stubborn firstborns. Later, we're at another restaurant, having dessert and sitting in silence, literally not saying a word because we both wanted to prove each other right. We had nothing to prove. The next week, I thought about what he had said, and I realized that he was right. Yes, I'm saying that you were right. His delivery and execution, maybe not right, but his point was right. His point was that we're not called to live a simple and an unsafe life. We're not called to just live in the comforts or confinements of our safe box right here. But what happened was in my circumstance, in my season, even in that evening, maybe even a mix of hormones, a concoction started to drift my soul, and I started to think about how overwhelmed and how frustrated I was. Many of us in this room have been in that place where we start to get overwhelmed by our circumstance. We start to get overwhelmed by our season. Maybe you're a parent here and you feel a little bit like you're swimming in the deep end trying to bob up for air and every day is just swimming and swimming but you can't quite get your breath. Maybe you're here and you're trying to do the best that you can but you feel angst in your soul. You desire something safer and simpler and easier. Can I just encourage you here tonight? God's plan is that you would have a satisfaction in your soul. That you would have comfort in your spirit. But outside of that, we're not called to live a comfort and a cute and a safe and a simple and a confined life. In my early 20s, I did business and I lived in that culture of you got to just get to the weekend. 
and I did my nine to five and I did my Monday to Friday and if I could just get to the weekend or if I could just have this much in my retirement account and this much in my savings or if I could just have vacations on the calendar or if I could just check off my goal list or check off my to-do list. See, my personal life and my soul was not in a healthy place. I was actually a mess at the time. But if I could just stay controlled right here, and if I could just live safe right here, or if I could just live comfortable right here, I wouldn't burst inside out here. And in this passage, we find the Israelites, including Gideon, getting to the place where they're living in fear. They're living in anxiety. They're living in torment. They're living in frustration. They're living in safety. And it says that he's threshing wheat in the wine press. And commonly when you're threshing wheat, it's in a big open space. But he was threshing wheat in a small confined place because he was living in a place where he could not be exposed to everyone else. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt yourself it's easier in isolation or it's easier in the confinement of my box? And the angel shows up in verse 11, and he sits down right where he's working. And he's calling Gideon to go make a difference. And he starts talking to him and who he is in his heart. But before he does, he sits down right where he's working. Can I encourage you tonight that God meets you right where you're at? He meets you right on your journey. He re meets you right in your season. He meets you right in your circumstance. And he met Gideon right where he was at in his humble life, just working his Monday to Friday job. And he sits down. Our middle son, Winston, he went through this habit of waking up in the middle of the night and he would start to yell, Mom, Dad. Sometimes he would even say, Help. So Chad had this conversation with him and he said, Son, don't yell. Like, just walk into our room. And then he proceeded to just like walk into our room quietly and we would wake up to him standing at the edge of our bed like children of the corn. And we're like, Oh gosh. But a lot of us are sitting there crying out and saying, God, help. God, help me. Whether you're like my son, yelling and crying out and desperate, or your head's down, just working like Gideon, unable to see up, God comes to you wherever you're at. He positions himself to sit down into your space and into your story. We serve a God that comes to you. We serve a God that is in so desperate love with you and I that he will come to you. And in verse 12, he comes to Gideon and he begins to address him. And he says, you're a mighty warrior. 
See, God sees in you what you cannot see in yourself. See, I look at this and I think about how if I just started to see people the way that God sees them, what would that look like? If I started walking up to everyone in this building and I said, good morning, you amazing, beautiful, wonderful, I can't, I'm running out of adjectives. Good hair, good shoes, called highly anointed, favored woman of God. I mean, just like, if I just started addressing people the way God saw them, sometimes we have to see ourselves the way God sees us before we're able to do what God calls us to do. You know, if I started calling my husband, mighty warrior, he's like, good morning, babe. Here's your coffee, mighty warrior. I love you, mighty warrior. He'd start to believe that I see him as a mighty warrior. But what happens is, is we start to get the wrong lens and the wrong picture of who, how we see ourselves. And I just want to tell you here tonight that every person in this room struggles with seeing themselves the way that God has created them. If you have a difficulty seeing yourself in the image of God, welcome to the club. I read this passage and I started to get stirred. I started to get challenged. How do I see myself? How do I see myself? Do I see myself? Do I walk around and see myself with the lenses that God sees me? My son Winston recently had to get an eye exam and they discovered that his right eye was not as strong as his left eye and they prescribed him corrective glasses and said that he would have to wear glasses and as the doctor went out I did uh, what controlling mothers did and did my own eye exam so he's writing up the prescription and I'm covering Winston's eye and I'm like holding up fingers I'm like Winston how many fingers is mom holding up well he passed the good eye and sure enough the bad eye he's like having difficulty seeing the number of fingers that I'm holding up and he puts on his glasses and he's able to see clearly. And I thought, what happens if we just put on the lens of heaven and start seeing through the eyes and the lenses God's hand that's at work in our lives, God's hand that's at work in your heart and in your soul. See, he sees who we are. He sees our purposes. He sees the plan. He sees the big picture. He sees our flaws. He sees us because he designed us. How do you see yourself? If you can see it, God can do it. If you can see the promises, you can do what he's called you to do, but you first got to get an image. You first got to get a picture. You first got to get a vision of what that is. Do you walk around saying, I can do this. I can fulfill the promise that he's put in my heart. I can 
be the mother he's called me to be. I can be the father or the man he's called me to be. I can win the battle against the enemy. I can succeed in business. I can have a beautiful family. I can be married to the best person that he's called me to be married to. Do you see it, though? Do you see through the lenses of God? Or are you fixed up on what you're not? Do you walk around and say, I just, I can't do this. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified enough. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough money. Welcome to the club. We will never be enough. And I came up with this list of these characters in the Bible. Time and time again, men and women were all unqualified, but yet they went on to do incredible things. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. Hello. John was self-righteous. Jesus was too poor. Naomi was a widow. John Mark rejected by Paul. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. Martha was a worrier. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. And did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? So did Peter. So did Paul. And well, so did a lot of folks then and now, including me. But they all went on to make a difference because they had a picture of the promise of God. See, you're just a picture of way from the promise of God to be fulfilled. You're just a picture away of seeing yourself in the piece of the puzzle. You're just a picture away of seeing your part in his story. Do you believe and do you see tonight that you are a part of making a difference? And then in verse 14, he says, not only go, but go in strength. See, you have exactly what you need. You have exactly what you need. Gideon didn't have a lot. What did he say? I'm the least. I'm the weakest. But once again, God addressed him and says, go in strength. Go in what he perceived he was not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Last night, 
I was talking to Chad about this message and I was asking him if he could help give me an example about where I went in strength, like an example like the scripture. Hey, babe, do you have any examples of how I went, like Gideon in strength? And he's like, actually, no, because the whole point is that it's not our strength. The whole point is that in our weakness, he is made strong. We can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens us. There are lots of moments where I feel weak. Every day, actually. Because I'm not enough. But you know who is enough? God is enough. He's just enough. And he knows exactly what you need. And finally, in verse 21, and I'll invite the band to come up. Gideon prepares his sacrifice, and God shows up again. And in the midst of Gideon's sacrifice, he touches the sacrifice with his staff. And finally, he gets this aha moment and says, oh, there you are, God. Finally, after much negotiation, after much disbelief, after much inability to see what God was telling him, Gideon prepares his sacrifice, and God shows up in the sacrifice. And a lot of us in this room know what it is to sacrifice. And when I was a little girl, I used to pray, God, allow me to be used by you. God, I pray that your will would be done, but that I would make a difference in my lifetime. I didn't want to just take up real estate here on earth. I wanted to make a difference in my lifetime. And I knew that it would be thrilling and exciting and adventurous and anything but simple, safe. But a lot of times in my journey, there were twists and turns and roadblocks and bumps and all of that, like a lot of us in this room have experienced. And I thought sacrifice looked one way. But sacrifice looks different for every person in this room. Many people have come today and sacrificed their whole day to be on the dream team, to serve Zoe, to make a difference here in our community. Other people sacrifice in the marketplace so they can be kingdom builders because they believe that they're called to make money so they can give and fund the work of the kingdom of God. Some here are moms today and you're sacrificing in your lane. You're sacrificing time, virtue, and a whole lot of showers so you can raise up godly children. Whatever lane God's called you to be in, you're sacrificing to make a difference. 
And if you're not, can I invite you into the adventure of a lifetime? Can I invite you into the excitement? On April 10th, 2012, many of you know our story, journeyed with us, we're forever grateful for the community that has stood beside us, walked with us, loved us, cried with us, held our heads high. But my daughter, our sweet five-year-old, was diagnosed with a rare brain abnormality, our firstborn child. And on that day, our doctor gave her a death sentence, and he went on to say what the outcome or the prognosis for her life would be, and it was very glim, and it was very dark, and it was very frustrating. But he also talked about how my life would look different and how I would have to sacrifice a lot to care for her and how there would be strain and stress on our marriage and our home and on our life. My journey and what I thought I prayed as a little girl looked different. And there were nights that I sacrificed for my daughter, and I prayed to God as I was offering a sacrifice, God, would you just show up in my sacrifice? Would you show up in my pain and in my moment? Would you just show up? And time and time again, he did. And time and time again, he did. And I'm not saying I sacrifice more than any other mom or any other person in this room. We all know what it is to give out a love, to give out of energy, to give out of time, to give out of resource, to deplete ourselves, to give. But in my sacrifice, God showed up. In Gideon's sacrifice, God showed up. And then fast forward the tape, God and his obsession with humanity he sacrificed his son for you and I. Jesus died on a cross to be the hope for humanity that we can live eternal life, that we can experience his sacrifice for our freedom. See, God loved us so much that he sent his son God loved Gideon so much that he showed up in his sacrifice. But this life, in order to make a difference, requires sacrifice. And if you like your simple and comfortable and controlled life, that's fine. But can I invite you on the adventure of a lifetime? The adventure that includes sacrifice. Because in my moments of darkness, I got a glimpse of Jesus' love for me. And Gideon got a glimpse of God's obsession with him. And as God sent his son and Jesus died on the cross, his hope is that we would experience his freedom, but that we would get a glimpse of his obsession with us, that we would get an obsession for humanity and for the people out there. See, this whole thing, making a difference, is about people. Our sacrifice 
is that collectively as the church, we can make a difference. And what happens is, is we know God and we find freedom and we can discover, oh, I'm good at this and I'm, I'm kind of good at this and we're in LA and there's a lot of gifted people, but we get stuck from three to four because we're unable to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And we're unable to see the potential, to see the picture. And a lot of times we're unable to see the hurting and the broken people out there. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you were inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.